tonight to remember the blessed story of the cross of Christ. Jesus himself spoke often about his death and and how he would be raised to life again. It's a story of both great suffering and great glory. And in divine wisdom, the cross would become Christ's glory. It would become our glory as the church. It would become forever our joy. And as we read the New Testament, we understand that the New Testament calls us to remember, to meditate upon the sufferings of Christ, but not to do so in a way in and of themselves, but with a view to the fullness of the story, to the resurrection, and an understanding that God had a declared purpose in Jesus dying on that cross, and it would be a glorious future for us who would be placed in Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our Savior this evening. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to remember with great focus your cross and the purposes that you accomplished in it, how it really was your glory, for you came to redeem a people, and you did. And we pray this evening that as we look into the book of Hebrews, that you, in our meditation and our understanding, that we would come to appreciate your cross even more deeply this evening. Amen. Well, our Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday series this year is from Psalm 110. And so last Sunday, on Palm Sunday, we looked at the psalm itself, and we primarily limited our attention to the hints and the previews that were in that psalm about what would come. Well, today, on Good Friday, we're going to explore and really meditate. The focus tonight is really more of a meditative type of a reflection on the passage, on the psalm and how it's used in the book of Hebrews how the Psalm 110 is used in the book of Hebrews. And then we'll delight in our Lord's use of the Psalm, and we'll see how Jesus used it, as well as Luke used it in telling us about the purpose of Jesus' cross and resurrection. Well, Psalm 110, Yahweh gives promises of the victories of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an oracle that is given about the great king, and there's an oath about the great priest. In Psalm 110, we read, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, as we look in the book of Hebrews this evening, so you can just turn your Bibles to Hebrews. We'll be all over the place in that book tonight. But there is so much in the book of Hebrews on Psalm 110. You may not have realized that, but it'd be absolutely impossible to get to all that Hebrews has to say about Psalm 110 this evening. So we'll be looking at sections out of chapters 5 through 7, but really focus our attention on chapter 7. Did you know that Melchizedek and Psalm 110 was so important to our faith? I mean, the author of the book of Hebrews calls it basic Christian doctrine to know this. And why is it so important? It's because we all need a priest. We can't go to God on our own. We need an inter one who would intercede for us. And tonight we're going to confine our discussion to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. So we'll be looking at that section this evening. And in this section, Psalm 110, verse 4, is actually quoted twice. Now, there are other places that are very important in the book of Hebrews where this comes up, a quotation from Psalm 110 or maybe an allusion to it. 
or a summary statement that draws our attention back to the psalm. So a few of them you might want to jot down for your own future meditation. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are a son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and following. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, repeatedly offering the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So in our Psalm 110 meditations, we're thinking about the greater victory still, the greater victory to come through this eternal priest and king. And tonight, specifically, we're looking at that greater victory because it's based on a greater priesthood, the greater priesthood of Jesus Christ. And so there are three comparisons in our passage this evening that are made between the Levitical priesthood and Christ's priesthood. In verses 11 through 19, we see that Jesus' priesthood was perfect, not imperfect like the Levitical one. In verses 20 to 25, the Jesus priesthood is permanent rather than impermanent. And finally, in verses 26 to 28, the Jesus priesthood is effective rather than ineffective. We're just going to read the paragraphs as we go through them this evening in Hebrews 7, 11 and following. But first, a little bit more on the Melchizedek background for you to help you see how it put, it's put together. We've been seeing pieces of it throughout our series, but Jesus Christ is exalted here as the eternal high priest, like Aaron, but superior to Aaron. That is, Jesus is like Melchizedek, the archetype of the priesthood. So Melchizedek is the archetype, meaning he's the model, meaning that he is the original Melchizedek was prior to the Levites, and so he served as a pattern for what would be the priesthood. And so the Levitical priesthood gets established as what would be called a type. It's subservient to the archetype. It's a foreshadowing of a fulfillment which is called an antitype. And the Messiah would be that antitype. He would be the fulfillment. In fact, he would supersede it and go back to the archetype itself. Jesus Christ is the one without sin. He's the eternal Son of God. He remains the one and only priest forever as the fulfillment of all these priesthoods that God has established. And so chapter 7 
verses 1 through 10, I just pretty much summarized it for you. It sets us up for this greater victory now in verses 11 through 28. And so the first comparison is that Jesus' priesthood is perfect, while the Levitical priesthood is imperfect. And so we read about this intended change that God had announced beforehand, verses 11 through 14. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that, tribe Moses said nothing about priests. So the imperfection of the Levitical priesthood exactly established and announced by Psalm 110.4. Think about when the psalm was composed. It was composed during the time of the Levitical priesthood, and it talks about that priesthood being superseded. You see, there was more work to be done in the age of perfection that would be done by the perfect one, the Son of God, the Messiah. And at the very conclusion of our passage in verse 28, that's what we read, for the law appoints men in their weaknesses, high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So God himself decreed in the Psalms that there would be a new priestly order, and it would be after the likeness of Melchizedek, and it would replace the Levitical system. Even when the Levitical system was operating ideally, perfection was still not attained. So there would be no value, you see, in returning to the Levitical system after Christ himself has appeared. The old priesthood was bound up with the law, we read. So if there's going to be a change in the priesthood, there would also have to be a change in the law since the law established the Levitical priesthood. They were tied together, you see, and they were both designed to be temporary and to be anticipatory signs of the new covenant that would be established, which would bring in a true righteousness. In fact, the law would require a very radical change, since the new covenant priest would not even be a descendant of Aaron. We learn that he was descended, in fact, from Judah. This, too, was prefigured by the priestly work of David, who would be a prophet king type of the Christ. For he offered sacrifices on occasion, as well as some of his descendants. And furthermore, this new priesthood was not of the earthly altar type, as we read in the book of Hebrews, but of the eternal heavenly type. In Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Well, this section continues talking about the perfection versus the imperfection. And then now we have a priest who's actually qualified for the task in verses 15 through 19. The author continues, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. 
For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And so the very exaltation of Jesus Christ confirms him as a superior priest, according to the type of Melchizedek. The Levitical priesthood had a physical quality to it, whereas the Melchizedek-like priesthood is one of an indestructible quality. Jesus Christ died and was raised out of and above death, and so he's able to minister forever. That's actually how the book of Hebrews opens when you look at the very first paragraph in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. You can read it on your own later. But Romans 6, 9 and 10 says, We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. No Aaronic priest was ever able to attain this kind of a ministry. The law and all of its regulations weren't even capable of producing righteousness in people. Only Christ Jesus could achieve the perfection of the law on behalf of his people, and the law was weak because of the inherent sinfulness of humanity. And so it was useless because it couldn't cleanse people from their sinful condition. That's the whole argument in Hebrews chapter 9. The perfection necessary to draw near to God would only come through the gospel. And that's the whole argument of Hebrews chapter 10. The Old Testament saints certainly had a spirit-wrought experience with God, but it wasn't through the ceremony itself in its priestliness and its sacrifices, but rather as the ceremony looked forward as a symbol of hope to a future fulfillment that would come. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, we read, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." You see, Jesus' priesthood was perfect, not imperfect like the Levitical one. Jesus Christ is the perfect priest for us, the perfect priest for you. He's the only one who can meet your need perfectly and fully. It was a greater victory at that cross because Jesus possessed a perfect priesthood. The second comparison is on permanence. Jesus' priesthood is permanent, the Levitical one is impermanent, and we read that in verses 20 through 25, the next section. So first of all, there's an oath that's brought up in verses 20 to 22, and so the argument continues, and it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So we learn that the oath promised a priesthood of permanence. 
The oath that's being referred to is Psalm 110, verse 4. It came after the promise. And such an oath did not accompany the Levitical priesthood. There was no such oath. And the superiority of Christ's priesthood is observed in its eternal perpetuity, in contrast to the Levitical generational perpetuity. That's the only way it continued from generation to generation. But Jesus, as the Christ, is the one who is following after the archetype himself, Melchizedek. And so in Hebrews 6, verse 13 through 20, we read, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, referencing Psalm 110.4. So that by two unchangeable things, that is the promise and the oath, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Strong encouragement to hold fast to the set hope set before us because you know there are other hopes out there that want you to hold fast to them, to abandon Jesus Christ and to look for a different hope. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus is a guarantor of a better covenant, the fulfillment of the oath that was given after the promise. This covenant's better because it works by the Spirit. And Jesus Christ himself would see to the accomplishment of its goals. That's precisely his ministry as an eternal high priest. This new covenant, which would be described in Hebrews chapter 8, is actually the central issue of the book of Hebrews. It's all about the new covenant. We actually are going to continue our reading and understanding of Psalm 110, if you will, by continuing to look at this section on Hebrews chapter 8 on the new covenant at Pentecost, which wraps up the celebrations that we're starting this week. Now, then in verses 23 to 25, we have the many verses, the one, the one who has all grace... The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. The permanence of Christ's priesthood is observed in two things. First, there's a greater number of Levitical priests, but there's only need for one new covenant priest. So Jesus is permanent. Second, and related to this, is the reason why this is so, and that's because Levitical priests die out. And so you need to get a new one. And they remain in perpetual ministry only by succession. But Jesus Christ lives on in heavenly glory with no successor. And so he himself is able to minister forever for us. There's no one greater or better qualified to succeed Jesus, the Son of God, He's unable to be superseded. He's final. There is no other priesthood. There's only Jesus Christ. 
In other words, not only is Jesus Christ priesthood eternal because he lives forever, it's also a priesthood of superior quality because of his divine nature as the Son of God. The application of this is that true salvation power is available without end or without exhaustion. It's infinite because Jesus is. It's eternal because he is. Jesus Christ is constantly at work saving and sanctifying his people. It's his priestly ministry of superior quality of intercession. He grants mercy and he provides us grace, producing a holiness in us. This is brought up in chapter 4, verse 15 of Hebrews. And the goal of the whole covenant of grace is that Jesus Christ would be the guarantor to the end of forever and completely saving all of his own. The salvation he began at his cross, he's going to finish at his return. You see, Jesus' priesthood was permanent rather than impermanent. Jesus Christ is the permanent priest for us, for you, to bring you grace so that you will persevere to the end because he will see to it that you are saved. You're safe and secure with a priest who's permanent. It was a greater victory on that cross because he had a greater priesthood. And finally, the third comparison, really the conclusion of chapter 7 then, is that it was an effective work, not ineffective. And we read that in verses 26 through 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." So we come to understand that he's the Holy One and that his priesthood is thoroughly and absolutely efficacious. He totally paid our debt. It's an infinite debt we owe because we've sinned against an infinite God. It's a debt that has no end because God has no end. But Jesus Christ being the Holy One, he was able to pay that debt the only one who could and did on our behalf. And it's exactly the kind of priest we need. His identification with us in his humanity was not because of his sinfulness, like the Levites. And his perseverance as a man in accruing righteousness was exactly the kind of strength that we would need. And we stand righteous in a foreign righteousness, in Jesus' own righteousness, and we are able to live a righteous life, not because of who we are, but because of the Holy Spirit that he's placed within us, that we can actually produce a life that's pleasing to God. And it shows that we belong to him and that our eternal redemption is coming. He's precisely the perfect priest we need. He's flawless. He was holy, free of guilt, defilement, and he was taken out of the sphere of sin into heaven to exercise his priestly ministry from there in the application of the redemption that he accomplished. He offered up himself on our behalf to fulfill the covenant of redemption, which is all articulated for you in Hebrews chapter 10. And his sacrifice stands as valid forever because of his own holiness. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so the eternal priest of Melchizedek, according to the oath of Psalm 110.4, is who Jesus is. So in conclusion, the Messiah has appeared and fulfilled this priesthood of Melchizedek, and consequently the Levitical priesthood has been superseded. It is no more. And this is all according to God's eternal purposes. It's precisely what his intention has always been. And no mere human, the Levitical priesthood even shows us, is capable of fulfilling this role of a high priest, but only the Son of God. His cross was effective rather than ineffective. Jesus Christ is the effective priest for you and for me to accomplish the true and lasting full redemption, to actually have our sins forgiven, and as Hebrews itself will talk about, to have our consciences cleansed, to know that we are actually forgiven. That's a peace and a blessing that so many people are wanting for. It was a greater victory because of a greater priesthood. 110 verse 4 marks out that king, the Messiah, as unique and easily identifiable, actually, when he would appear. He would not only be a king, but he would be an amazing priest in a new order. Jesus has been appointed to the high priestly office to meet the needs of his people. He's a superior priest. His priesthood is different, and it's of a higher order. It's a priesthood of perfection. It's a priesthood of permanence. It's a priesthood of effectiveness. And I trust that Psalm 110, as you've been meditating on this week, has been benefiting you as you pray through what it means, that it would be profitable for you. And this outline this evening itself can be used for further meditation. You can go back and look at Hebrews chapter 7. It's a pretty easy outline that I put before you. His priesthood is perfect. It's permanent. It's effective. And we all know we need a priest, right? I mean, Jesus Christ is that priest who can save us from our sins. There are many other inventions of humanity, many other priesthoods that get invented for you. But for us, there's no other priest than Jesus Christ himself. And Good Friday then is ultimately about rejoicing in that cross of Christ because it's the glory of God. It's the glory of Jesus Christ. He actually saved us by it. And we're humbled because we're the sinners whose sin required such an event by such a priest. And yet, in order to truly and fully honor the cross of Christ, we have to fill out our perspective with the real joy of the event and, and not just the solemnity that so often occurs on this day. So hopefully we've done this tonight, and hopefully God has done this by His grace through His Word and through His Spirit for us all. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper here together as God's people uh, in a moment.